Today on the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim and Curtin. What is self-awareness? This one, a long time have I watched. In my opinion, it is simply the ability to... All his life as he looked away to the future. To be aware of how you show up. To the horizon. How you react. Never his mind on where he was how you respond to the circumstances around you. What he was doing. There's no right way to do this. There's just your way. You need faith. To be able to meet yourself and how and where you have your triggers, so to speak, with wisdom and compassion, keeping that inner peace is the heart of what self-awareness is about. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed is good. Don't confuse greed with desire. You don't have to exploit other people to get what you want. Having desire is good. Let me tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty. Money has become this powerful symbol for wealth, but you can have all the money in the world. And if you don't have peace of mind, you are not going to be a happy camper. I don't lie to myself. I don't hold on to a loser. The moment it doesn't feel right, I let it go. Get away from it. Oh, it's so easy to lie to ourselves, whether it's holding on to a losing position in a trade or in our life. Our ego does not like to be wrong, but that lie will cost us each and every time. The Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim and Curtin. Welcome, everyone, to the sixth episode of The Wall Street Coach. Uh, I'm Kim Ann Curtin, and Glenn Oslin is my sidekick. And today we're actually going to talk about self-awareness and mindfulness. And prior to our recording, uh, Glenn and I usually will practice something to ground us before the recording. So I thought today we would let you be in on that so that you can practice uh, with us, along with us, so that you have a nice entry into a topic of mindfulness. But they're not in trouble. Because like when I was a kid and I'd get in trouble, I'd get grounded. That's uh, not what you're talking about. Different talking kind about of a different kind of grounded. That's a really funny term. I, I <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot that we used to be grounded. You are grounded. Yeah. This is a grounding that hopefully anchors you no matter what stress is happening in your life. So I promise you it's more fun than the childhood grounding. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to pick your own switch or anything. I mean, it's just. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, we could go off on a tangent here. I could go (laughs) off on a tangent here. But part of what they say, part of our uh, stress levels today is because we aren't grounded, literally electronically grounded, because we all wear shoes. And one of the things that uh, one of my spiritual teachers, who's a shaman, uh, has advised me to do on a regular basis is to walk barefoot in the grass, on the dirt, uh, as much as I can, at least, you know, if possible once a day, but at least once a week, especially during stressful times to just begin to settle down all the mayhem maybe within my body, mind, and soul. I can't even tell you to do that in New York City. Let me tell you when it's freezing cold out uh, in Central Park, which is where I would used to go. I can't tell you how powerful and effective it was. I mean, you know, Trust me, for me to take my shoes off in New York City, set to park, I must have been getting something out of it. But I have on shoes right now, you know, as I'm about to ground us. So. And I'm barefoot. You're barefoot? That's so funny. That's I'm so funny. I'm barefoot. You need faith to stand up straight It does ground you. So I can't, can't highly recommend you guys consider doing that. Have you ever done that, Glenn? You know what I think that that is, is when you can feel it, your consciousness and your awareness mm. more focused on what's happening. It's mm. always happening, whether you're focused on it or not. And, yeah. and you know, so, so I, I like these meditation exercises, like these grounding exercises, not because I think it grounds me to the center of the earth where I wasn't before, but where it's turning my attention and going, oh, I'm already grounded this. I just have, I, I was focusing on this other thing over here. I'm going to take a minute to just remember what's always going on. I'm, I'm always a part of this. I'm always connected to everything around me. Yes. So, yes. 
and we are. And we You've got a talkative sidekick today, Kim. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. <laughs> you know, Google, Google after this call, you know, anybody who's listening or yourself, what the kind of, you know, what some people have as a philosophy about this walking barefoot and, and the, you know, where the scientific kind of side of this comes from. I found it to be a little bit fascinating. And the concept of the, the technical, like, you know, a electrical bull needs to be grounded and we do need to be grounded. Um, but, you know, undoubtedly, whether you have shoes on or you don't have shoes on, people join us now. We're going to just do a little meditation, a little kind of quieting the mind. Uh, to just get present to this conversation. So I just invite you to close your eyes if that works for you or lower your eyes if that's better. I do recommend you put both feet on the ground with or without shoes, preferably without them. I've actually kicked my shoes off now. And just let yourself connect to the earth. Let yourself connect to whatever is under your feet and imagine the cord, a grounding cord, an anchor, connecting you deep, 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 all the way through to Mother Earth, all the way through the terra firma that you're, you're under, that's under you, and go even below that to where, the, to where the lava is underground, all the way through to the center. I like to have an image of Gaia, uh, Mother Gaia, because it's just an image I can connect to. I live on an active volcano island, so I have this connection to this really deep kind of energy of Pele and energy of this mother earth. And do your best to just see yourself stabilized by that energy. And then allow yourself to imagine this cord coming back all the way through to you, going out the top of your head. And that energy and cord now is connecting you way above the town you're in, way above the country that you're in, way above the planet, way above all the stars, to that which is beyond the stars, that which you come from, we all come from, we're all made of star stuff, as Carl Sagan said, connecting to that energy and seeing that light coming down back through that cord into your center, into your torso, into your chest, breathing all the while and do deep breaths, not superficial kind of lung breaths. See if you can just expand your lungs beyond what they're used to. Your focus is on this breath right now, the breath you're taking. Not where you've been, not where we're going, just in this moment. And if judgments come up or thoughts, welcome them and let them move through you like a cloud. And then when you feel ready, you take another breath and come back to this moment, to the chair you're sitting in, to the car you might be driving in, and open your eyes when you feel ready. Well, hopefully you weren't driving if your eyes were closed. <laughs> and then when the time is right, we'll begin. How is that for you, Glenn? Oh, I love it. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just love it, yeah. So today's topic is self-awareness and mindfulness. It's practice five of the five practices that I have featured in my book, Transforming Wall Street. We've gone through uh, all five. Today will be the fifth practice, the last of the practices I advocate. Uh, Practice one, we spoke about uh, in a few episodes ago about self-responsibility. Practice two is self and other empathy. Practice three is uh, emotional non-resistance, learning how to be with what's hard to be with, which will come up a little bit in today's conversation. Uh, practice four is embracing your inner hero. 
and uh, the reason I wanted to mention all of them again today is because they all sort of play a part in practice five. Most of all, emotional non-resistance. What is self-awareness? In my opinion, it is simply the ability to be aware of how you show up, how you react, how you respond to the circumstances around you. The more self-awareness you develop, the ability you have to stay grounded in uh, any kind of a storm. And there's a quote in my book by Cindy Wigglesworth. She defines uh, spiritual intelligence as the ability to behave with wisdom and compassion while maintaining inner and outer peace regardless of the situation. And to be able to meet yourself and how and where you have your triggers, so to speak, and be able to meet that with wisdom and compassion uh, and keeping that inner peace is, I believe, the, the, the heart of what self-awareness is about. I think there are some people who kind of look at self-awareness as the things that are wrong about you, the things that need to be shifted, the things that need to change. And I would invite you to consider that that wouldn't necessarily be the way I'd advocate it because to meet yourself with neutrality is the, the tricky part. And that's the part where you have more uh, opportunity for growth because for us to move into growth or to move into more awakeness or awareness, we, we need to not go into it feeling like we're going to be made wrong. And I think we have a tendency to be really hard on ourselves. That, that's, a, that's a really good point because it's something that I struggle with too because um, you, know, you talked about this when we discussed empathy and I think it was one of the things that Brene Brown mentioned um, as, a, as a characteristic of empathy, that, that non-judgment piece. And so if you're being uh, empathetic of yourself, you're not judging yourself. But at the same time, if you, if you recognize that there are things you want to do to improve yourself, right there baked into that idea is this idea, is judgment. You know, that, that there's something that you should be or somewhere that you should, should do that you're not at. And... You know, so how do you how do you balance those two ideas together, progressing, getting better without ever thinking that you needed to be anything other than what you are? You know, yep. it's, it's it's a paradox. It is a paradox, and even the concept of the judgment will surface in self awareness, especially if you're practicing, let's say, a mindfulness meditation, or you're trying to be still. You, you will be distracted. So can you meet that? distraction? Can you meet that humanity? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface that monkey mind they speak to with neutrality? Oh, oh, I don't have neutrality. And then meet that with neutrality. It's like take, you know, it's like going all the way down into the beginning of the infinity. And uh, this, this quote is, I, I have a few quotes today. Prepare yourselves. Um, this quote I love because it's a real key quote, but it, but it has to do in general with life. But I, I think it's applicable here with our journey towards self-awareness, our journey towards uh, mindfulness. Uh, he said, to be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And I have that quote in my book on page 334. It's one of the most incredible quotes. It's one of the quotes I have on my refrigerator. I read it all the time because I want to understand, I want to know, I want the answers all the time. And what a quote helps me remember is to be comfortable with the not knowing, to be comfortable with what I can't understand and find a way to be present to even that. And that is, in my opinion, you know, what mindfulness really is. Uh, 
Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now, you know, says it all. How, how do we be here now? We, we don't be here now only when the sun is shining. We don't be here now when certain people aren't president. We have to be here now regardless of the environment and or the, the uh, circumstances. And that's, this is a practice. It's not like you, you, you may have moments. I've been very fortunate because of my meditation practice. I, honestly, I can't even say it's that because there are plenty of people who've been meditating longer than I have, probably more uh, dependably, if you will, who haven't had these kinds of transcendent experiences I've had. And so I can't even tell you why, but I have had these moments where I, there was no effort to the being here now, where I was completely in an altered state. And, you know, I love how Stephen Johnson in his study trade conversation talked about his ability to connect to that with, you know, a mushroom shake in uh, Thailand and I didn't have a mushroom shake, you know, I haven't done ayahuasca, I haven't done any of those hallucinogenics, but I had this experience three times where I was one with the universe. And one of them lasted for nine days. That was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And even now, when that is not the state that I'm in, I will do my best at reconnecting to that state, to that place, to remember, to reconnect to the energy of that stillness. And that stillness, even though I strive for it in my meditation practice, isn't always available to me. Or let me say this, I'm not always available to it. I believe it's always available to right, us. Yeah. But, but I'm not always able to get into the stillness to tap into it, so to speak. Yeah. No, I, I, I like what you were saying, the, the Ram Dass be here now. Um, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of Star Wars and Yoda and, you know, like what, what was it that Yoda was telling to Luke? This one, a long time have I watched. All his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, hmm? what he was doing. You know, I, I've watched you all this time. Your mind's always ahead. I'm like, what's next? What next? You're never right here in this moment. And it, it, I think we've said before about aligning your, like that, that inner alignment that you have. Um, if you are always in every moment that you're in, but you're not always conscious of it. Sometimes you're thinking about things in the future. Sometimes you're thinking about things in the past. So bringing yourself into what am I feeling right now? What am I smelling right now? What am I hearing right now? What is around me right here in this moment is, is how I've come to understand mindfulness and, and try to, to practice it myself. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with David Eagleman? Uh, I've heard his name, but I haven't, if he's an author, I've not I read him. I think he's a neuroscientist. He, he, I came across a Ted talk that he did. Okay. So here's what I want to talk about today. So I'm a neuroscientist. And one of the things that's been of great interest to me for a long time is this issue that when we try to perceive the reality around us, we're only perceiving a little bit of it. We're made out of very small stuff and we're embedded in this extremely large cosmos. And the fact is that human brains are really terrible at perceiving reality at either of these scales. And that's because we didn't evolve for that. We evolved to operate at the level of you know, rivers and apples and mates and food and stuff like that right here in the middle. Something about um, the evolution of human senses and wow. he talks about this thing that's called the umwelt. And, and the umwelt is basically that narrow range of sensory experience that our bodies have evolved to be able to perceive. The part that we call visible light is actually less than a 10 billionth of the amount of light that's out there. So all this is electromagnetic radiation. It's just that we have receptors for this part and not for the rest of it. So you have radio waves and x-rays and cosmic rays and microwaves and all this stuff is passing through your body and it's completely invisible to you. Wow. So it's, it just, it really put all of this into perspective. If I'm right here in this moment right now, even if I'm focusing all of my senses that have evolved to be able to perceive, I'm still only getting a very small fraction of what there is. Yeah. But so, so how valuable is it to then put my attention onto something that's not in this moment? Yes, exactly. You know, a really, really powerful statement. Yeah. It's the, it's, you know, you hear present moment awareness all the time, 
But breaking that down, present moment, that means just this moment. And it doesn't mean you won't, you will be hindered in any way to what it is you're about to do. But there's so many times when I see myself in a situation, I had traffic today. I rarely, you know, we're in a very small town here. This compared to New York traffic, you know, if I told people I was in traffic today and, you know, thinking back to my New York days, I'd laugh at the traffic, like a five minute traffic jam. Like, come on, that's not traffic. But for, I rarely have traffic that I, I was like, Hey, I have traffic. Do you, do you ever have traffic jams because somebody has their cow in the middle of the road? <laughs> that could have been what was today. I don't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they got the cow out of the way. It, it, we just have, a, you know, one lane road going into town and one lane coming out. And it's probably school, the time of day. I, I'm not down there usually at that time. So it's school, probably traffic. Um, but you know, so there was part of me looking at the watch, looking like, am, am I going to be late, blah, blah, blah. And then I, because I was stopped, I, I looked to my left and the town I'm in has all these mountains and poo's, which are these kind of like air pockets that have pushed up earth. And it is gobsmackingly gorgeous. I mean, it looks like Brigadoon, like a fantasy place. It doesn't even look real, this town of Waimea. Come well, they have it has two names, but the bottom line is, looking at that in that one moment, I was, I just kind of laughed out loud, like this is so ridiculously beautiful, and it, and that's part of why I live here now because this place, Hawaii, has forced me by its beauty, by the nature that's here, to it it more than any place I've ever lived has constantly been telling me be present to this moment right now. Look at this incredible landscape, the sun coming up behind the mountains, just be here now. So in that moment, what I think I realized is, even though of course the the tension of potentially being laid for our recording today was there, it was a little softer. There was like a softness in the moment after I was present, just to that mountain, to the beauty of the morning, to the fact that that sun was coming up. That stillness then permeated the rest of my drive once the traffic cleared. And that is also something that I guess I want to say to people. It comes with time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you start with where you are. And if you need to, uh, if you find yourself frustrated by that, then maybe it's only 10 seconds or five seconds. Like start with where you are and try not to have judgment for yourself because that's not going to facilitate your ability to be present. And because today I told you guys I'm loaded up with quotes, I want to read another quote that speaks to what I just spoke about regarding the mountain and the landscape and nature. Uh, And this is from one of the most uh, rich, delicious, packed, you know, like if you've ever seen sand in a cup and somebody packs it down and then you put more on top to just make it as full as possible. That's what this book is. It's a lot to pull apart. It's by David Abrams. The book is called Becoming Animal and Earthly Cosmology. How monotonous our speaking becomes when we speak only to ourselves and how insulting to the other beings to foraging black bears and twisted old cypresses that no longer sense us talking to them, but only about them, as though they were not present in our world. Small wonder that rivers and forests no longer compel our focus or our fierce devotion, for we walk about such entities only behind their backs, as though they were not participants in our lives. Yet, if we no longer call out to the moon slipping between the clouds or whisper to the spider setting the silken struts of her web, well, then the numerous powers of this world will no longer address us. And if they still try, we will not likely hear them. It it brings tears to my eyes because I feel part of what the modern culture we all live in has done is sort of put a barrier between us and this beautiful world. Uh, And I think it's important for us to just remember to come back 
to center. And center is being in communion with nature, being in communion to stillness. There, there is something to be said about just sitting in a forest. There is something to be said of just sitting and looking out on a forest or a tree or just one tree in a major city. You know, there are trees in Central Park in New York City, and I used to just go and try to stand up against them, you know, when I'd be doing my barefoot little walk and just take in the epicness of a tree and how many years it probably was there. So do what you can to find a way to connect to nature. It could be through your dog or through your cat, something that is not necessarily human and or is maybe more human than humans is what I want to almost say. I, th I think I mentioned this to you uh, a week or so ago when we were talking um, that I've started doing mindfulness practices. Well, well, let me back up. So, so several months ago, I did an interview for uh, another podcast with a woman named Carol Whitaker, who um, is an expert on the Enneagram. So I was talking with her about the Enneagram, and she's part of the Arizona Enneagram Association where I live. Wow. And she was telling me her story and how she came to the Enneagram and part of her story involved this med meditative practice called centering prayer that I hadn't ever heard of before. And she talked about how that practice changed her life. And so after I did this interview with her, she invited me to a class that she was teaching on how to do it. And I went to it and I learned how to do it and started just kind of 20 minutes a day, uh, you know, kind of how you started us out today, like feel your feet on the, the ground, really connect and just, just start focusing your awareness, you know, focus it outside, now focus it inside, you know, change it, change it to different places, yeah. focusing in your body, and really still your mind. Um, and so I, I, I got to a place, before that, I, I could, I had tried to meditate, I could maybe do like five minutes before I'd start getting restless. I got to where I could do 20 minutes, and really started craving it and loving it. And, and then I got to where I could do it while I was driving or while I was at the gym. You know, I'm on the elliptical and I'm listening to music in my, my headphones. And I've gotten to the point, I don't do this all the time now, but, but where I'll just take the, the earbuds out and I'll, I'll just listen to all of the sounds around me. And, you know, when I started doing the, the centering prayer um, here where I live, I, I would listen to the birds. I would sit outside and I would think about nature. And every once in a while, I would hear the sound of traffic coming by. And I would think, oh, no, I don't want to hear the traffic because that's, that's man-made automotive pollution noise. I want to hear the birds. But then I started thinking, oh, but it's just as much of the part of the environment as anything else. And really what I'm hearing is the disruption of air molecules hitting against my eardrum, you know. Right. Whatever it is that's, that's disrupting the air molecules, I'm interested in, I'm curious about, and I'm part of it because it's it's physically impacting me yeah. and I want to know what it is. So I, I've, I've started using this uh, meditative mindfulness practice as a way of fueling my own curiosity in the world and what's around me. And I, like, I especially love when I, I'll, I'll be at the gym and I'll just like, it, it's like I unplug and I, but then I plug into every other sound that's around me and it's, it's just a cool experience. It's, it's awesome. like anything I ever experienced before that. It is, it is a plugging in, a plugging into the present moment, a plugging into all that is in, you know, your vicinity. So I think it's a great example, a great, com you know, commentary on unplugging, but plugging in and, and to take that into our day to day, uh, is really where, so yes, meditation is terrific. Centering prayer is terrific. All of these practices of being still and then the question is, how do you take that into when you get off your pillow? You know, when you, get, when you go back into the real world, how do you continue that practice? And uh, I, I remember this book called, you know, After Ecstasy, The Laundry, you know, because like, you, you can have these amazing moments of meditation, stillness, and then, you know, you have to go back to life. So how, how do you do your laundry even present? You know, I know, is it uh, Pema Chodron? Uh, I can't remember who, one of the wonderful, you know, embracing mindfulness uh, advocates talks about, you know, when you wash your dishes, you know, just wash your dishes. Just be present to the water, be present to the soap, 
be present to the sponge that's cleaning, be present to the glass that you're cleaning. And to just do that, to just really wash your dishes and be present to washing them can be an incredibly beautiful experience as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the heart of this practice of, you know, self-awareness, mindfulness, uh, in a way are two different things, but ultimately it is a practice that you will continue to pull apart because they kind of, they're connected. You know, the, the more self-aware you become, the more likely you'll be able to step into what mindfulness means. So they, they sort of two, are two sides, I think, of the same coin, which is why I gave these two names. And what I guess I want to say also is that this is not uh, something that you have to feel has to be done right. There's no right way to do this. There's just your way. And it takes as long as it takes for you to get to that place. Glenn's sharing the example of centering prayer. It really worked for him. And what I say to people is find what works for you. You know, I'm a huge fan of the 10% happier app by Dan Harris because I feel he's coming from a very high stress, fast paced world, television production. You know, he's a, a co-host uh, anchor for Nightline, you know, I, there are people that I work with, a lot of finance people, they're in, under the same kind of like high pressured stake situations. Uh, they, they like 10% happier because it, it starts very in a, a digestible way and it's very simple and applicable. But I've also done uh, clarification meditation. That's where I was trained in my meditation practice by uh, the original founder's name was uh, Sagan uh wasn't Carl Sagan, sorry, Samuel Sagan. And uh, I did a you know, two-week meditation retreat where you know, we did eight hours of meditation every day. That would not be for everybody. I, I didn't think it was for me, but in the end, it was one of the most you know, life-changing experiences I've ever had. So find the one that works for you. I, I love Nancy O'Hara's book, Find a Quiet Corner. It's a really tiny, slim, digestible book just about just finding a quiet corner. Uh, so... so investigate find the, the ones that your friends talk about the ones you hear a lot if you constantly are exposed to uh different styles of meditation just dive in see if it works for you and i guess the most important thing i hear from people who try to start a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice is that you know but i'm distracted and and i'm like welcome to meditation like you know you're lucky if you're not distracted for any of your meditation so if you're going into meditation seeking this you'd think you're going to walk right into this peaceful place. Like I hate to break it to you, but that's just not reality. So be comfortable with the discomfort of the distraction, be comfortable with the monkey mind interrupting you and come back to the breath. Oh, there's the distraction again, come back to the breath. And that over time, believe it or not, expands to just bigger spaces in between the distractions. And that's what you're going for really is just trying to get to those in between spots. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that I think that's really good advice um, to to tell people that there's not like one right way or a wrong way. And, it, you know, my, my experience with the centering prayer, I, you know, I, I, I went because Carol invited me. She comes from a very different faith tradition than I was raised in. And I rejected my faith tradition. And, yeah. you know, and, and so then I'm coming into somebody else's and I'm listening to the symbols that they use to understand God or divinity or, you know, and it's different from me. So I have to do this reinterpretation. And, yes. and, and, and one thing that's been a, a really helpful metaphor for me is the story of Dumbo and that, that black feather of Dumbo's because, you know, D Dumbo was born with these marvelously large ears that gave him the ability to fly, even though he didn't know that he had the ability to fly. And, you know, if you're familiar with the story, you know that he was kind of tricked with this black feather. He was told that this black feather is what gives him the power to fly. And he starts believing it. But really what that black feather is, is something for him to focus on, something to give him confidence. Um, and he learns to fly. But then at the end, when the black feather goes away, oh, oh no, now he can't fly. Well, he, he realizes that he could the entire time. So I think we've all got these black feathers that are things that we 
we focus on. And sometimes we can get a little bit too attached to the form and, yeah. oh, well, I've got a yellow feather. Oh, it's fine. Oh, I've got, I've got a yellow horn and I've got something else. Whatever the object is that's helping you focus and learn more about those abilities that you have inside of you anyway, yeah. I think it's a really valuable thing. Uh, yeah. to, and so, then to get to the point where you don't need that symbol anymore because you yeah. recognize that power yeah. that's just within you. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I would say it, it's okay even if you don't ever get rid of it. Like, it's okay that that yellow, as long as you know that it's not the yellow feather or the black feather, like, what is it? It's, it's, it's similar to Campbell's comment about it's about the moon, right? It's not about the finger pointing to the moon. It's about the moon. But, but if that tangible feather helps you as a talisman, of reminding you, then embrace it. You know, right. I have, um, you know, I have obviously my mala beads for my meditation practice. But what did I have when I was a little girl? Because I was, I grew up Catholic. I had rosary beads. You know, what's the difference? So I love my rosary beads because they have uh, memories attached to it. You know, I, I had, and and when I got my first mala beads, I, I remember thinking, this is like my rosary beads, you know, it, because it is, because it's a prayer, a centering prayer, a constant repetition. When you say the rosary, you know, you say um, the, the Hail Marys, right? You, you go through a process and it's just like a mantra. So again, even now my faith and my spirituality is, is so big that it is able to include uh, my rosary beads and my mala beads. Like I'm, I'm able to pull in all the different pieces from the faiths that have resonated with me and my own spiritual traditions. And I'm able to fortunately kind of zig and zag back and forth with them. So I think the key is even if you're coming from a place where you, you know, for some people, their background, their religious background or their spiritual tradition scarred them and traumatized them and made them feel like they had to break free of it. Um, and I can recognize that and have empathy for that. And remember that that was, that was the box you had to climb out of. And you can still take it back later when the time is right, when you're, when whatever serves you, those pieces that are, they are our rituals. You know, this, this is part of, uh, Campbell's conversation too about part of our the empty and meaningless that we're experiencing in this culture today. It's it's partly because we don't have the rituals uh, as a big part of our life, and that and that I have a meditation space. I'm, I always wanted a meditation room, and this uh, beautiful place that I live in now had this perfect little space that's you know just like my perfect nest where I'm able to go in, and I have you know all the different spiritual teachers that have had an impact on me. Uh, you know, people could look at that space and be like, you know, are you schizophrenic in your faith? No, because all of these people, I have a JG Hook painting of Jesus that I grew up with in my house that I love. I have a beautiful portrait of a man named uh, Makua, who is a, a sacred teacher here in Hawaii. Um, uh, so I have Pele because she really connects to me. So, you know, it, it's okay to embrace what works for you and you have to find your track or road to the divine that speaks to you. And that, if that helps you step into place of stillness or perhaps your love of science, perhaps it's your connection to the, the beautifulness of the stars. Perhaps it's your, you know, ability, if you've ever seen those unbelievable images that come out of the Hubble, you know, satellites where you just see the green way off in, you know, space or the Milky Way. Like if that is what connects you to that sense of something bigger than yourself, whether it's spirituality, God, or just the stars, find it. And that's the place of stillness. Find that way to be still. Even if you don't have a meditation room, right? Maybe you just close your eyes, even on a subway ride and come to center. Uh, that's what I would advocate to everybody. And you start where you are. Maybe it's only for five minutes, for two minutes. It's okay. You'll build it up over time. And then you'll have times where you don't. I have times, and I love to meditate. I think it's game changing. And there are days where I'm like, it's just not going to happen. I just will not sit down for whatever reason, because I'm not in the mood, because I'm annoyed, because I just don't want to even be with that stillness today. That's okay too. So, yeah. 
I, I may have mentioned in the first episode when, when we were talking about the emptiness that people feel in their lives, um, th- this guy named Emil Durkheim, that uh, he, he anticipated that as uh, secular humanism and atheism becomes larger and spirituality or religion declines, that there is going to be more emptiness. There is going to be more of a sense of um, meaninglessness and nihilism. And that what, what he suggested was that people co-evolved in these small groups of like 150 people um, over hundreds and thousands of years. And one of the things that bound people together were these stories, the, our mythology, our religions. And so when you re- we start re- rejecting that, you're actually rejecting this glue that binds you to other people. And if you don't find a replacement for that, there's going to be this gaping need that's yes. not being met. Um, and and I, I think we do see that in a lot in the world today. And being able to come into mindfulness and meditation, what I really like about it is, sure, you can have it dressed in different religious traditions, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, It, exactly. it can be something that, that, that science looks at and says, oh, we can see the the physiological benefits of meditation um, and there's there's scientific evidence for that it doesn't have to be any one particular practice or spiritual tradition uh, tradition or practice but just a way of creating a greater sense of calm and peace and reducing anxiety in our daily lives yeah I think the the piece there that's so important of everything you just said is that I, I do think religion is decreasing our alliance to religion, dogmatism, fundamentalism, uh, in spite of, you know, it leading so many stories uh, around those who claim to be Christian, which is, you know, a whole nother conversation. Uh, And I do believe spirituality is increasing. The spirituality is a different form of, you know, religion in fundamental ways, the, the institutionalized religion was created to control us, was con- con- created, you know, it, it started with kingdoms, right? The king was the, the, uh, the, the authority of our lives. The king of, you know, a small community had to be in charge of the, the people. And we gave our authority over to that king because we wanted to be safe. We wanted to be able to, you know, eat and feed our families. And I think that's where a lot of institutional religion came from. And people, it's breaking down. I mean, it's breaking down in crazy numbers. Thank God, right? It means we're evolving. And it doesn't mean to me that spirituality is necessarily lessening. But I think what's happening is people are realizing that they can have this experience with the spirituality without it compromising uh, their intelligence, without compromising uh, their own sense of moral integrity. And I think part of what we want to remember is that all of, the, all of those who perhaps were advocates of being connected to the divine, Jesus, Muhammad, Muhammad, Buddha, and many, many others, ultimately were telling people, you know, to, to be still and kind of connect to that which you found to be the divine. And all of their teachings, in my opinion, have been hijacked by mankind to fit through the the little kind of uh what's the word i want to use template that man is seeing this must mean x y or c and what i invite everybody to ever do if they come from a specific spiritual tradition is to see if they can go back to before it got filtered down before it got uh pushed or forced through template find what the spiritual tradition teachers that go way back, what would that message have looked like without that interpretation? Because it's just one person or multiple people's interpretation. I remember when I was, I was studying, uh, taking theology classes with an amazing professor named Deidre Good, who was able to read Aramaic. She was able to read Greek. Uh, she was able to read what was the other language there were like four languages she could read. And, and we were looking through the New Testament uh, through all these different uh, interpretations. And the way these uh, phrases were worded when you heard the different languages, it was 
all so different. And I'm like, you know, if you want to say, okay, these, these, this is what we believe. And then you read all the different languages, Never mind, you know, the, the era that it was uh, coming from when it was written, you, you're not going to see exactly the same thing. So if that's the case as it is already, what would it be like for you to go back to the source and see if you could find your own connection to some of those words, knowing that those words are probably very different than even the way they come out, came out of their mouths. Um, so anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. I didn't expect you to get down, but, but anyway, that, that's part of why I took courses. I studied at a Roman Catholic seminary. I studied with uh, pre, men who were becoming priests. Not only was I the only woman in these classrooms, but I was also the only lay person uh, there. And I remember the books that I was being given in this Roman Catholic you know, seminary uh, blew my mind away, opened up my head, made me realize that so much of the dogmatism uh, I, I was shocked that these were books being given to men who were becoming priests. I was shocked to read them. I remember a book we got, which was called Jesus Before Christianity by Albert Nolan. And I'm telling you that just like, whoo, kind of big chasm under my feet because so much of what I had been taught was contradicted by that. And, you know, here I am in this place that I would have presumed was so conservative. And yet they were very much rattling my cage around the beliefs or the thoughts, the things that I thought were so. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I just had this hunger to hear all of what was out there. You know, I was fascinated by Judaism. I was fascinated by shamanism. I, you know, was fortunate in Japan to be, meditate with Zazen, you know, do Zazen with monks. You know, there's been so many experiences that I've had that have enriched me and have taken me so far away from the dogmatism. So I invite you to do what you can to plug into where it works for you, if not all of them. Um, and goddess circles have been, I've, now I'm a facilitator for a goddess circle and have been for years. And I'm also an, a Eucharistic minister. So, and I've married people. So like, you know, there's all these different aspects of me that make me feel connected to the divine. You have to find what works for you. Uh, and, and it could be not the divine. You may find a divine in nature or again, like we spoke about in space and stars. So, yeah. So we're gonna, uh, maybe some of that gets edited because it's too long-winded, but uh, I wanna just thank everybody for being part. I think what I'm gonna edit, Kim, is yeah. you being hard on yourself. We don't, okay. we don't need little gremlin asides. Okay. Uh, okay, good, perfect. Yeah. Uh, so today, uh, this is the end of season one. We've done six episodes. I'm so happy for those who have come along for the journey. I'm so grateful to Glenn for uh, strongly suggesting I do this series and for being my, uh, you know, side, I don't want to say sidekick because it feels too trivial. I want to just say partner in crime uh, at, at doing this and, and, you know, making these videos and podcasts beautiful and clear. So we've and, gone from Batman and Robin, now we're the criminals. Now, yeah. now we're partners in crime. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're going to be sometimes the out Joker there. and Harley Quinn, huh? I'm criminal because, you know, we, we want to mix it up. <laughs> um, so this is the end of my series around my five practices for my book, Transforming Wall Street. And uh, I don't know what season two will hold yet. I think uh, I'm going to be ruminating on how this series comes out. I would really welcome you uh, listeners to, uh, and viewers to please comment uh, and maybe reach out to me, tell me what you want more of, what you want less of. I'd like to just hear a little bit from people uh, what they've gotten out of it and what they would like to get out of it. I, I feel I have so many interests. I have so many uh, kind of teachings and learnings that I've gathered things in my toolbox that you know I feel like I have this huge room that I want to you know show to everybody and let everybody come in and see like, look at this, isn't this cool? Oh my God, I love to talk about that. Shall we go down this you know, dark road into the woods? And uh, so hearing what you guys like uh, about these six episodes will help me do that. Uh, because I have had so many quotes, I, I haven't read quotes throughout this whole series, but I am a collector of quotes. And uh, because I you know, wrote my own book, I was able to put a lot of my own favorite quotes in the book, which was a lot of fun because I had all these quotes for so many years and I'm like, oh my God, I can put that quote there. It was like, I've been collecting the quotes without even knowing it for my book, 
all my life. So that was a really magical quality. So this quote, I, I guess I want to leave you with, because I, I really want you to see that this life is an adventure. And no matter where you may find yourself now, no matter how dark it may be, uh, I just want to assure you and encourage you uh, to just keep moving through because the adventure uh, continues. Even if it feels dark now, it doesn't stay dark forever. Uh, and that you're not alone uh, because, and that's part of what I really hope, if anything, this podcast does is it helps people not feel alone. Maybe there's something I said, maybe something Glenn said, maybe there's something in the people I've quoted that speaks to you. Maybe not everything speaks to you, but if you just feel a little less alone than you did before you watch this, I feel like I've done my job. Uh, we have not even to risk the adventure alone for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. And where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. And that's Joe Campbell. And that quote is the quote that I consistently hold on to when I feel I can't go on. And that has happened to me so many times in my life. It feels like countless times. And I go back to that quote and it helps me to remember that I'm not alone and that I can make it through this adventure. And uh, we, uh, we all can if we're in it together. So that is how I'll leave you. Remember, we're all in it together. Thank you. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Find her on the web at thewallstreetcoach.com and sign up for her newsletter, get a copy of her book, or schedule a time to chat with Kim yourself. And if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced by Ear Candy Productions.